0: Okay, it is 6-11 p.m. on 6-3-2019. This is my first broadcast back from Malaysia, and I've got lots to tell you. Essentially, I think that God is calling us to go and take some ministry, specifically a sevenfold miracle crusade to Malaysia. I mean, I've never been over there. I mean, I've never done anything like this in my whole life. So I was wondering, what in the world are you sending us to Malaysia for? I mean, it would be a long story, But there was no question in Leslie and I's heart and our whole congregation that God was sending us to Malaysia. But why? So here's the story. So when we arrived, we already knew that this was a very Muslim nation. We were picked up by the local pastor. He took us over to the hotel. Now, we arranged to get there a couple of days early, as Pastor Massey has suggested, because when you travel like that to other countries, many times, there are all kinds of delays. A matter of fact, the very first day we got to the DFW airport, we were in a very nice uh, airplane setting on the tarmac. And we sat there for two hours and waited for the – we were waiting for the thunderstorm to blow over. It didn't blow over. So finally, they had to pull back up to a gate. We had to get off. And it was not until 7 p.m. that evening, and we got there, I guess, probably about 7 o'clock that morning. So all day long, we spent in a delay right there at the DFW Tarmac. So, yes, delays happen a lot when you're flying internationally like that. So when we finally arrived, we knew we were sent by God. And so we also knew our footsteps to order the Lord, and we had no complaints. We were not expecting a nice hotel. We were not expecting things to be as nice in America. That was fine with us because we were feeling the peace of God. We knew that we were sent by God, and so we were at peace with everything. Now, people kept asking us, you sir, know, the pastor there, and then when Pastor Masi came, They kept asking us, well, how's your hotel room? You know, because they were expecting complaints because probably most of the Americans coming in would complain about the conditions of the hotel. And they didn't put us in a real nice hotel, but we weren't complaining. I mean, we tried to give accurate reports, but we were walking in the peace of the Lord. We knew we were there by the Lord, and so we weren't complaining. So they took us to this, quote, new hotel to discover it was actually not new. It was refurbished. But they thought it was new. That that's fine with us. We again we had no complaints. Due to possible and probable delays, again we arrived two days before the conference. Now the breakfast was provided by the hotel and surprisingly I liked <laughs> I liked Malaysian food. I it had a lot of unusual spices that I had never tasted in my life. And I I liked it. Now, Leslie didn't care for it so much, but I liked it, and since I didn't know when I was going to be able to eat again, and it tasted so good, (laughs) I ate quite a bit. I'm afraid to step on the scales because I probably gained 10 pounds. But anyway, so yeah, I I ate a lot, I I knew I was overeating in almost every meal, but it, it, it was good. We also knew that the whole Malaysia location is a nation right down near the equator, so it's always going to be hot. Matter of fact, I made, I asked one of the uh, taxi drivers, I said, have you ever seen snow? <laughs> he laughed. No, no, we've, we've never seen snow. So most of the time, every day is about the same temperature. It's somewhere from 70 to 90 degrees all day long. Every day, about four o'clock, it rains. Every day, about four o'clock. Now, uh, when we got into the hotels, one of the things that we were watching for was whether the hotel had hot water. And so the first hotel we checked into, sure enough, had hot water, air-conditioned work, elevator worked, And there's about seven local Muslim channels on the TV at the hotel. That's fine with us. We weren't complaining. We weren't expecting it to be America. We didn't go there to... For that, you know, we didn't go there for the nice accommodations. We went there to minister. And so we were we were at peace with everything. Uh, one of the things we also noticed that was real strange about it, they played this like Arab music all of the time. In just about every place we went, there was Arab music. There was like no, I mean, you thought there would have been some kind of classical music or something. No, Mm-mm. it was all like this Arab sending Saudi Arabia music there. It was it was really strange, but then so finally the international pastors conference got started. So they transferred us over to that hotel. The accommodations there went down several levels. But again, we're walking in the peace of God didn't make any difference to us. There was no window in the hotel room. The room was much smaller. You had a choice of either putting the suitcases on the floor. Or putting them over on the other. end. we kind of thought it was kind of funny that the room had two king size beds, but the, <laughs> you had to put your uh, suitcases up on the other king size bed if you wanted to walk around the room because the room was so small. And, but again, you know, we were walking the peace of God didn't make any difference to us. So we put the suitcases on one bed. And now we had a little room to walk around. Pastor Massey's room, however, was not so good. He got a real strong smell of sewer in his hotel room. And so he called and said, we're moving to another hotel room. (laughs) He had found us another hotel room. We moved over there. Uh, Now, Pastor Massey found a different hotel, and we got there. And, of course, immediately we didn't, at that point, didn't walk over and check the hot water. We're used to hotels having hot water, but this one didn't. Uh matter of fact we took a couple of cold showers there and finally but but there's there's a story there. I'll I'll pass by that and finish that story here in just a second. Let's get on over to the, the conference here. So at the conference they had six speakers. Leslie and I were two of the six speakers and there was about seventy people, mostly pastors, mostly from India, a few from Malaysia and Pakistan or Pakistan. Uh, I was told before I went there that they all knew English, but both of my talks had to be translated into Tamil, which is the Indian language. Well, this is the first time that I'd ever had the opportunity to speak through a translator. And boy, if you'd not done that, you have no idea of the difficulty it is. I mean, with my complicated, I mean, explaining prophecy in general is complicated, but with my charts and everything, it's it's detailed. It's I hate to say complicated because it's not, it's not complicated. It's just detailed. Maybe that's the way to say it. Well, I discovered that Tamil takes about 30% longer with every sentence than it does with English. a matter of fact, I also found that with Chinese because one of my other talks had to be translated into Chinese. And I discovered what a blessing English is. <laughs> Because we can say things so much easier and faster in English than they can at least in Tamil or Chinese. Because, in other words, if the sentence would take so long to repeat it in Tamil or Chinese would take so long, plus about 30%. And I found it was very distracting. It really slowed my talk down. I had to reduce the complexity of the talk. I, I I felt like it just destroyed my talk. I mean, I, I just I, I had no idea what was coming, and no one prepped me for anything, and I, I thought it just destroyed the talk. Well, Leslie watched me struggle, and so she adjusted her talk and reduced what she was going to say and reduced the complexity of what she's going to say. Then my second talk was the more simpler talk on seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven vials. By then, I discovered, okay, uh, what you have to do is make a complete sentence. Don't try to stop in the middle of a sentence. Even though it's long, continue all the way through the whole sentence for the interpretation. Also, I made it much simpler, and the second talk went, went much better. But I also learned that these pastors, I mean, I would have thought that a pastor would be pretty familiar with all of the Bible. Uh, not true. Kind of like Leslie said the other day, well, Stan, you know, when you first started pastoring, how well did you know the Bible? She says, now today, you know it real well, but 25 years ago, not so good, right? And I said, well, that's a good point. Well, they didn't know the Bible so well, and I certainly didn't know prophecy so well. But then again, I'm not trying to criticize them. That was probably the reason God had arranged for me to be there because he wanted them to learn about prophecy because... They're all about to go into the tribulation, every one of them. Now, pastors in America that don't know prophecy, which is probably a high percentage of them, they do so because they choose to, at least my opinion. Then pastors in India or Pakistan or Malaysia, well, they don't know prophecy because they've never even read the book of Revelation. I don't know if that's because they don't understand it or what. But I do know that I saw a real big difference between people that wanted to know versus the American pastors. All they want to know is, do you believe in a pre-trib rapture? And if you don't believe in a pre-trib rapture, they don't want to hear anything anything have to say. The first thing they have to hear is, oh, yes, I believe in a pre-trib rapture. And if you're not going to tell me that there's a pre-trib rapture, I won't even listen to you. <laughs> of course, I'm also wondering, well, is that one of the other reasons God is sending us to Malaysia? Is it because the Americans are simply unwilling to listen to God's Bible prophecy? Anyway, so to get to the point about the conference, I think that my first talk was not so good. It was over their head, too complicated, and I was not ready for the interpretation. Second one was so-so, but Leslie, Leslie was the hit of the conference. I mean, of all of the speakers she was the hit of the conference. Everybody loved Leslie. It's almost like uh, Leslie, can you come in? Oh yeah. Well, Stan, you're also invited. <laughs> they love Leslie. Okay, so um, uh, let me talk about my book. So we gave away my book uh, for basically any donation. I don't know what came in, but we just gave it to one of the pastors. It wasn't much, but again, we understood that too. You know, we weren't going there to sell books. We weren't going there to make money. We're going there. To minister, to make some connections, and well, basically to see why God was sending us there. Now let's talk about the invitation. So, from the pastor's conference, we've got about one invitation says he can put us in front of 500 to 1,000 people in India to speak. Uh, two others said they could get us in front of anywhere from 5 to 10,000 to speak, both in India. Then on a Saturday evening, I went over and spoke at a Chinese church, and I made the mistake of talking on the feasts versus the prophecies chart. In other words, the uh, the, well, that's just it, the feast chart. And once again, they looked like a cow looking at a new gate. It was way over their head. I once again should have spoken on seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven vials, because that's a much simpler talk. We didn't move hardly any books, but whatever came in, I just gave it to the pastor. Finally, we got to the English-speaking church. Now, I'm going to explain a little bit more about this, but just give you kind of a run-up on it. From the very moment, first moment I spoke and, and shook hands and hugged this pastor, I knew that this was the reason Leslie and I had been sent to Malaysia. Leslie and I had already fallen in love with the pastors of India, Pakistan, and Pakistan, I could be saying that wrong, and Malaysia— but now we actually met the people of Malaysia. So we were first walked into the English-speaking church. I saw a lady walking around praying. That's a good thing. So now I knew that the land was fertile spiritually. Pastor took me up to another room, and him and I just talked, and Leslie was in another room meeting some other people, and just seemed like a really good guy. So we had some, by the way, the Malaysian coffee, <laughs> American coffee does not have anything over Malaysian coffee. The Malaysian coffee, every place, even though most of it was instant, tastes better than the American coffee. I mean, any place, every place you go, it's like, what? what is this with the Malaysian instant coffee? And it's really good. Anyway, back to the point here. So uh, we began talking, and I could see that there was an eager desire in his heart. And, of course, Leslie and I were eager to be a blessing to everyone there, too. So we walked back in. I was watching people as they walked into the church. And they walked in with love in their heart. And there was a real excitement to be at church. And this was on a Sunday morning. And there was a live praise and worship band with two praise and worship leaders, which is more than what we have. About 300 chairs, and almost every one of them was filled up. We fell in love with the pastor and his wife. And... I believe that the miracles will start with those who accept the end-time prophecy, soul-winning message. So, I was watching to see if the church was going to accept the end-time message. Many churches are praying and fasting for miracles, and they haven't received them. So, I was watching to see the hand of the Lord, asking myself the question, Lord, why did you send me here to Malaysia? We believe it was for this congregation, and they accepted the end-time message. So now let me talk specifically about the church there, the English-speaking church. Finally, no interpretation. Yay! (laughs) Now I can finally talk. And all of a sudden, just a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, I haven't taught them on Revelation. I've read it once, but that was a long time ago. Primarily, they just know the Gospels. Gospels. We don't know anything about any pre-trib. You're just free here to say whatever you want to. Uh, Just don't speak against other religions said the pastor. I was overjoyed to hear that. So as we were in praise and worship, Leslie and I standing on the front row next to the pastor and his wife, the thought occurred to me. I wonder if we should... I didn't even get the thought out of my mind yet, and all of a sudden the anointing touched me. I was about to say, I wonder if we should bring the Sevenfold Miracle Crusade to Malaysia. Instantly. Again, I hadn't even said it out loud to anyone, especially Leslie. I just was thinking... I wonder if we should bring the sevenfold miracle crusade in Malaysia. And before I could get the thought out, I was touched by the anointing. That sent me into a conversation with the Lord. Right there, right then, I began to seek and speak to the Lord. He showed me that Malaysia has lots of people in it whose name is in the book of life, and he wants to get them committed to him. The conversation went on. He showed me this congregation had been praying for miracles, and would accept the end-time message. He wanted to bring a crusade to Malaysia through this church. This was the reason I was sent to Malaysia. I don't want to say anything to Leslie yet. I wanted to see if the congregation was going to accept prophecy first. Because a while back, the Lord had showed me that many churches are praying for miracles, but they don't want anything to do with prophecy or the end times. They don't want anything to do with God's plan, They want it their way. And, of course, God's plan is his last day's soul-winning message, and it is going through prophecy, meaning any road heading to miracles first has to go through Bible prophecy. Most churches don't want to touch that. So all of a sudden, great. They understand English. They have no knowledge of prophecy or pre-trib. I can write on the canvas whatever I want to write. All of a sudden, I was released to finally teach Bible prophecy. Rather than talking on the more complicated prophecy in the feast chart, I started talking on seals, trumpets, and vials. I explained to them, not only did the pastor's wife accept it, but also the congregation accepted the message with gladness. So I felt released in my heart to tell them, God is bringing a sevenfold miracle crusade to Malaysia. It's not going to be a small thing like a church or two, but a nationwide thing for all to come and receive a sevenfold miracle. They were all very excited. I finally looked at Leslie as if to see if she had agreed, and she was smiling and said, the Lord had already told me we were to bring a crusade to Malaysia. Now, as you recall, I was released to say this about the April 19 to 22 sevenfold miracle crusade. Quote, this is the start of the greatest miracle revival in American history. I still stand by that. Now, I was thinking small, but I was thinking it would be primarily an American outreach. My goal was and still is to reach the top 100 cities in America with the Sevenfold Miracle Crusade. But now, not only had I never been to Malaysia, but now here it is. I'm up here in front of a group of people with Leslie in agreement saying we're going to bring the Sevenfold Miracle Crusade to Malaysia. Now, I see how the First Crusade plays into this plan. See, now we have 380, as we call them, purple shirt helpers trained to work in a sevenfold miracle crusade, meaning many of them will be willing to go, probably at their own expense, all the way over to Malaysia to help with this. Once we set the date, the plan will be to blitz the 32 million people of Malaysia via radio, TV, billboards, social media. We believe that God will send the money and the souls, because remember, the audible voice of God said to me, December 16th, 2002, quote, I'm giving you part of the harvest from the seeds sown by Billy Graham. So this is God's plan. I'm just participating. And just like you, you're participating. Now let's talk about crushing other religions. Okay, so after we had got done with this first round of ministry, and during this first week, all week long, Leslie and Sonia had been pointing out and stopping and taking pictures of these large Hindu temples made of hundreds of Hindu gods. matter of fact, we understand that there are some 30 million Hindu gods. Sunday morning, May 26, Sonia was given a dream we consider to be a confirmation that we are to bring the Sevenfold Miracle Crusades to Malaysia. In the dream, Sonia saw a large bare foot, a giant one, come down and crush the Hindu temple that we have been driving past all week long. She said it came out of heaven and just, quote, stamped and crushed it to ashes. Well, we believe that that is saying that the sevenfold miracle crusade is to go to Malaysia and that it will crush the Hindu gods of the area. So the plan will be to advertise, come and receive your sevenfold miracle But, of course, the people will come because the Holy Spirit is drawing them. Many of them have their names in the Book of Life, but they don't know it yet. Many will come who are currently Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, and the Holy Spirit will supernaturally draw them to the meeting. Now, another confirmation. About a week ago, Leslie, Sony, and I were about to walk out of our hotel. I realized they'd left my cell phone. Leslie asked me to also go back and get her a Coke from the fridge. All the way back to the room, I began talking to God. God, as you know, I will go to the end of the world for you. I'm willing to die for you. If I'm willing to die for you, then certainly I'm willing to do a sevenfold miracle crusade in Malaysia. The only thing I ask is that you show me what you want me to do and to say at this crusade. As you know, I felt like I didn't exactly know what to do or what to say the final hour of the Dallas sevenfold miracle crusade. So I said, I only ask that you show me what to do and say. Well, when I arrived back down in the lobby, I realized that I had forgotten the coat for Leslie. That night I woke in the night and I found it difficult to go back to sleep. As I lay there, I saw myself speaking in a large group of people in Malaysia, people from all religious backgrounds. God showed me how to begin the talk, how to make my points, how to speak of him, but not use the name of Jesus, until I had established a relationship strong enough to do so. Now, let me explain. See, in Malaysia, they have a law. You cannot try to proselytize Muslims. In other words, you can't go up and talk to a Muslim about another god. That's illegal. Well, what he was showing me all night long is how to structure the talk to not break that law. We're not trying to break the laws of Malaysia. We love Malaysia. We love the people of Malaysia. We want to win souls. And he showed me a way to do it without breaking the law, but still able to win souls. So the next day I was telling Leslie, you remember I forgot to bring you that Coke? Yes. Well, the reason was because <laughs> I was talking to God the whole time. Then I told her the story. Well, my point in telling you this is that In many ways, God has confirmed to us that we are to bring a sevenfold miracle crusade to Malaysia. When? I don't have a date. How? I don't exactly know yet. But we got about 1,500 people on the fast-track team, and I will get them fasting and praying with us, and God will show us. Now, let me tell you another way we know that we were supposed to go. Boiler explosion. (laughs) The first hotel was a little lower than oh, let's say an old Motel 6 that I once stayed in. So we moved to the second hotel. And yeah, it had water that was the same temperature of the cold water. In other words, they didn't have any hot water. Well, we didn't know that until we got all checked in and, and it was too late to really go packing up. We didn't want to have to pack up all the stuff and go to another hotel. So we just decided to stay there. And besides that, they said, yeah, they were going to get it real, fixed real quick. Now, there's an important point to this story. There were about 24 floors on the hotel, and they had put us on the 24th floor. Well, about 8.30 that first evening, I was watching TV, if you can call that watching TV. (laughs) And all of a sudden, there was a loud boom. I mean, it sounded like thunder hit the hotel right beside. It was really loud. It shook the whole place. Instantly, it came out of my mouth. I said, that was a boiler explosion. I didn't even know what a boiler explosion was. i never been around a boiler before, but it came out of my mouth. That was a boiler explosion. I just knew it. I mean, that was it was like a supernatural a prophecy. It was like from God. That was a boiler explosion. And the whole room shook. Now, looking back, it was really the Lord filling my mouth. That night, about 3.30 a.m., I was awakened by Leslie talking to Pastor Massey. She was sitting up in bed next to me. And she was telling him, I have lost my peace about this hotel. We need to move. I went back to sleep and I had this dream. I dreamed that I was falling as if I jumped out of a plane. I saw trees below and grabbed a branch which eased my landing down to the ground with no damage. When I landed beside me, there was this wooden spool about two foot tall, about three foot across, kind of like you wind large wire on and there was a bird on it who didn't fly away immediately when I landed beside him. Then I looked to see why he didn't fly off, and his back was broken. He was just waiting there for death to come. Then I noticed the spool was covered with all kinds of decomposed bodies of various varmints, and there were three scared-to-death rabbits waiting for death to come because they were too afraid to jump off of the spool. So I used my foot to save their life and just pushed them off the spool so that they would jump and run away. I awoke and immediately sat up and said, Leslie, I just had a warning dream. We need to get out of this hotel now. The three rabbits may be talking about the three of us, me and Leslie and Sonia that was with us. I called a plumber friend and he said, Stan, you got to get out of there now. Thousands of people are killed every year from boiler explosions. They are deadly. Get out now. When we were checking out, of course, we prayed that the boiler would not explode, that no one would be damaged. And I also told them it was very important that they get someone up to look at this boiler because we were on the 24th floor, and the boiler was literally right above us on the roof. And that boiler could have exploded. But the point is, God was protecting us. And now it's going to be interesting to see what God does. Now, based upon this other the sevenfold miracle crusade that we did back in April. I'm just guessing we will know more here in another week or so after we get some people to put some numbers together, but we're probably talking in the ballpark, someplace between 50 to a hundred thousand dollars to go to the other side of the planet to Malaysia to put together this sevenfold miracle crusade. But we believe that God has called us to do it. And so we believe he will put it all together. Let me talk to you briefly now about my book. In 2017, I decided I was going to memorize the book of Revelation, and I didn't really think anything was going to happen. It was just a project. But all of a sudden, I began to receive these revelations. matter of fact, I received 30 revelations and two visions. The last one was telling me to write this book. Now, let me talk to you briefly about the supernatural part of it. It was $7,900 to print the book, and two days after I found out the amount to print the book, seven one-ounce American Gold Eagle gold gold coins were found in our mailbox. No return address. Sent it in. It was $8,100 we got back, meaning that God paid for the printing of this book. That ought to inspire you to let you know that this is not my book, that this is God's book. Now, I'm not saying that it's like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not the Word of God, but it's not Stan either. There were many times as I was going through this book, God gave me supernatural wisdom to write it. Basically, God showed me that a single word, firstfruits, which is found in Revelation, links to the word firstfruits in Leviticus 23. When you link those two words together, all of a sudden the prophecies of Revelation fall in order with the feasts. In chronological order, and all of a sudden we can know things that we have never known before. We can know what happens on first fruits 144,000 are resurrected. What happens on Pentecost? those washed in the blood of the lamb, then go to the marriage supper of the lamb with the 144,000. We can know that the marriage supper of the lamb takes place on Pentecost. About four months later, then we return with Jesus on white horses for trumpets, which is the day of the Lord. Ten days later, is atonement. This is the judgment of the dead. Five days later, the new Jerusalem, the golden city comes down. All of that becomes clear once we understand the secret door of to understand Bible prophecy. One for 20, don't do that. Five for 30 or 10 for $55. One for 20, five for 30, 10 for 55 at prophecyclub.com. You can watch our DVDs at watchprophecyclub.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your prayers. And thank you for your continued gifts of support. God bless. Prayerfully consider supporting the Prophecy Club with your gifts of support. We would not be here without your prayers and generous financial support.